Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be with you, whether you're on campus or online. I want to introduce to you our staff missionaries, Dr. Larry Sellers and his wife, Leanne. Would you help me welcome them today? You guys want to come on up this direction? Um, so Larry and Leanne have been our staff missionaries for over 20 years now. Uh, they serve in a country in West Africa uh, called Cote d'Ivoire, which uh, is translated into English, the Ivory Coast. And so uh, our partnership with them goes very deep. Uh, work camps from here at Eastside have been there. In fact, I, I had on our Google review sheet uh, a few weeks ago, someone asked, do you have a congregation in the Ivory Coast? And I answered back, I don't, I don't answer all those questions, but I did that one. I'm like, no, we just have sisters and brothers in the Lord in the Ivory Coast. And although I, I think some of them would probably say, uh, the pastors who have the East Side t-shirts would probably say, hey, we, we belong to East Side. So um, I, I've asked Larry and Leanne to share a little bit today. Um, this particular video that you saw is one that uh, goes around the country with them to introduce the work there. Um, but in this series on gratitude, last week we talked a little bit about, from the 103rd Psalm, uh, about what it means for God to uh, forgive all of our iniquities and heal all of our diseases, and then for him to rescue us from the pit and to actually redeem our lives and crown us with steadfast love, and then to be able to actually um, quench our thirst, if you would, uh, to satisfy our thirst. And so in talking with Larry and Leanne, they've been home for a few months, getting ready to head back uh, in January. Uh, Larry had to have some surgery done uh, and came home from the States to do that. Uh, so uh, before they headed back, I wanted to have a chance for you to see them, talk to them after the service or before, but, but also uh, for them to tell you a little bit about what God has been doing. And Leanna, I, I, you told me a story this week. Uh, John Baptiste is one of the, uh, one of the uh, men who's a leader in the, the church in, in the Ivory Coast now, in fact, is in charge of the, uh, the radio broadcast uh, in, in French uh, there and was one of our students originally, I think, at Ibao or just came alongside, came alongside of us there. Uh, but is a good man, and he has a nephew named Ezekiel. And I know you've had a relationship in caring for Ezekiel. And would you tell them what you told me this week about Ezekiel and what went on with him? Ezekiel is a young man who I first met when he was about 14 years old, and he came into what we called our young youth or our young jeunesse, jeunesse junior, and um, he was just very kind and likable, and everybody wanted to be around him. Ezekiel just was a very kind young man. He was always early to help, just a great young man. A few years later, um, Ezekiel we continued to, to see him, but a few years later, um, he, just, he just continued to show his love for the Lord. But this one summer, he had gone to be with his grandmother, which is in Boake, and he was out there playing with his friends in the water. They were swimming and all kinds of things. And when he came back, he said, Mom, he said, there's a little white bump on my, on my elbow. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm just kind of concerned. I said, okay, well, we'll just be praying about it and see what happens. And that was just before our last furlough. Well, when we went back, I started looking for, for Ezekiel, and I, th I thought, well, where is he? Why isn't he here this Sunday and the second Sunday? And I went to Jibe, his uncle, and I said, 
where is Ezekiel? And he said, well, he's at home, but it's, it's okay. And I thought, mm, something's not quite right. So I called during the week and I said, Jibe, can I please come see Ezekiel? I'm, I'm a bit concerned. And he said, yes, mom, you can come. So I went to see him, Larry went with me, and when we got into the room, we saw Ezekiel, he came out and he had his arm all in a, in a band. And I said, hmm, this, this is interesting, may I see your arm? And he said, yes, you can see my arm, mom. And he took off what he had over his arm, it was a sling, and um, there was no flesh left on his arm. No, I love it, there was no flesh. So you're looking at muscle, okay. All right. And I looked at him and I remembered about him going to be in the water with his friends. And I said, Jibe Ezekiel, I think this might be an ulcer de Brewerly. And this is a disease that is from tuberculosis and leprosy and it comes through the water. May I please have permission? May I please have permission to take Ezekiel to see somebody who can help him to a hospital where they take care of this kind of thing? I said, yes. So we took Ezekiel out to the clinic, and when we got in there, they diagnosed him with having the ulcer de Brewerly. Ezekiel was about to go into his senior year in high school, so that meant he was nine months in the hospital. He did not get to go that year, but when he came out, he was whole. God had done a wonderful thing in Ezekiel's life, and Ezekiel is ready to testify to anybody he's seen. He sees whatever they ask, what's going on? And he'll say, this is my testimony. This is what God has done. He has brought healing to me, to my arm and to my soul. Ezekiel goes into college at different times and people do ask him, but he's also very much a part of the church that's New Start in Boake where he's at today. We thank God and Ezekiel says, praise God. He is so thankful. Larry, I know it's not just in healing of bodies, but there's also a, a, a cultural war, if you would. If you would. Uh, there are many Christians in the Ivory Coast, and many people of faith, but there are also many other different kinds of religions that are there. And uh, our, our good friend Emmanuel Yeo is a national leader for the Church of God there and, and up in Corogo, the northern part. And, and I know they've been working for a few years on a, uh, on a concept uh, about some land outside the city of Corogo. And they had an, an, a place where it was one of those situations where, where you kind of had to determine who's really in charge of the world uh, at, at that point. Would you tell us about that? Pastor Emmanuel, who is our national leader in the third largest city of Corogo in the northern part of the country, um, has had a vision for some time to develop a retreat center that would be accessible to the church throughout the country and could also be used for, to other groups and bring in some income and uh, the property that would be large enough to have some other projects that would bring income and can develop agricultural animal projects as well. And so he identified a piece of property and through the help of Eastside and others, we were able to purchase that property and begin developing it. One of the first things we discovered in this little village called Lakpulu, where the property is located, is that they had no clean source of water for the community, for building, or anything else. Women would often have to go several miles away to get water, or they had one other well that was, that was in very bad condition and was not producing good water. 
So one of the first things that Pastor Emmanuel wanted to do was see if we could drill a well on the new property that would be for the community and for the, the church and the building projects as well. And so and in the process of raising funds, we were able to identify a company that would help us come and drill a well, and the day was set for that to happen. When the, the drilling team came to the property and began setting up, some of the elders of the village and the village chief came to the team that was leading the, the process of drilling the well. The, the leader of this team happened to be a young man who was a Christian. And so when they came to him, as he was preparing to drill, they said to him, you know, young man, uh, this community is, belongs to Lakpolo, and uh, we have our own village gods and ancestral spirits that you must recognize before you can do anything in this location. Otherwise, they will not bless your efforts and you will not succeed in what you're doing. And so you need to sacrifice a chicken on this property. Well, 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 like fried or baked or <laughs> what, what? You mean sacrifice, bring a chicken to a them? A live chicken. A live chicken. Mm -hmm. live and chicken, kill the chicken. Kill it and spread its blood on I'm the property. I'm glad I wasn't on that trip. All right, go <laughs> ahead. All right. And uh, so this young man who was... Uh, from that area, he knew the culture of the people, he had respect for his elders, but he was also a believer. And he said, I respect what you're saying and I know what you're saying is the custom here, but I also know that this property belongs to the church. And the church put their trust and faith in the one true God who will provide water. And so that we're not going to sacrifice a chicken to other gods, but we're going to pray and ask our one true God, to provide the water that he has created and he wants to give in abundance to, to you and to the people here. And so that set up a kind of a watch and see conflict situation to see who was gonna win out here, the one true God or the village gods. They began their process of drilling. They got down to about 50 meters, no water at that point. That's not too unusual. Usually it's maybe 50 to 70 meters before they would find water. They continued drilling to about 70 meters, no water as at that point. They continued going to 80 meters, still no water. At, during this time, Pastor Yale had called all the Christians throughout the, the area and asked them to pray and ask that, that yeah. God would provide water. Yeah, that, that's one thing that we probably ought to let folks know if they've never been to West Africa is that you have this idea that people around the world may not be as advanced as you are. Everybody in the Ivory Coast, I think that I've ever met, has a cell phone, okay? Or several, uh, uh, or several of them. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Emmanuel actually carries at least two with him at all times, all right? And, and so he's on those phones calling, I mean, directly. It's not, it's not like waiting till later or anything. No, it's right there. He okay? was right there watching what was going on and calling people. They had already asked people to pray and even fast on that day. And so he was calling to make sure everybody was really doubling up in prayer. And uh, so they continued drilling down to 80 meters, no water. The team was getting pretty worried. They were thinking, maybe we should try another location. But the leader said, no, we're going to keep going. We believe that God will provide. They got down to 90 meters, still no water. Continued down to 100 meters, still no water. And the, the team was getting pretty worried at this point, And they were really trying to put some pressure on their leader to try a different location because they were wasting time and money, they thought. But the, the leader said, no, we're gonna keep on going a little further and trust God to provide. And so when they got down to 104 meters, here's what happened.
the, the leader you heard speaking there, he's that Christian young man who was rather excited, and he said in French, c'est l'eau qu'on attrape là. That means that's water we've got there. And he was just a little excited. Okay, God answered his and many other prayers, and he won that cultural battle there that day uh, and continues to, as people see that God indeed is more powerful than their local spirits, and he is the one that, who deserves our thanksgiving and our, our service to him as well. And today, uh, they, they have now a capped well with a pump house and a, a, a tower with a big tank on top that is full of water. And they, we've been told by those who've tested the water that the water is so pure and clean that it could actually be bottled and sold professionally uh, by the church. And that is a future project that we're looking at as well. Um, so we're excited that, that uh, this location has now been set up for a church to be established and for projects to begin being built and developed on this location. And it, it, for me on a personal level, knowing that there's water in that particular place is in, interesting because the first time you and I tra traveled to Kurogo uh, to meet with the church, which by the way, Eastside, thank you. You're the ones who provided the roof for the main church building in Kurogo. Uh, for Pastor Emmanuel, but uh, we were on our first trip up there and you drove me however many kilometers and all of that stuff uh, up there, but uh, we arrived and someone had stolen the pipe from the water tower in the area of the city where we were, so there was no water, all right? Uh, except, um, I mean, they did give me at the guest house we stayed at, there were, I had to figure out, there were two buckets, one to wash in, one to flush the toilet with. I wanted to make sure I got the right bucket every time, all right? Uh, so we thank God for what he's doing, what he has done. Uh, you guys, I, 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 honestly, I, I tell people this all the time, your model for what God has done in the Ivory Coast is an amazing model because you've not made it center around you and you've not made it center around missionaries from the West. You have spent almost a quarter of a century, well, a quarter of a century, 26 years, um, raising up national indigenous people from Cote d'Ivoire who know the culture, who are the leaders. You've invested yourself. We've partnered with you here at Eastside in, in order to, to build uh, some of the facilities and sponsor some of the churches. Uh, Children of Promise is now with you. But Larry and Leanne, uh, it has been a joy to watch how God has used you to raise up a ministry that quite honestly will outlive you uh, because of the men and women you've poured into in, in that place. And if you wanna, whether you're with us on campus or online, if you wanna be supportive of that ministry, here's how you can do that. One is through our your regular tithes and offerings. Larry and Leanne's support from Eastside actually comes through uh, a part of our regular operating income. So if you are giving to Eastside Church, you are in our operating fund, you are supporting them. If you want to do something designated, uh, you can just simply uh, support, and there's a place on the online for other. If in the memo section you just simply wrote the Ivory Coast, um, the spelling Cote d'Ivoire is a little hard, okay? So uh, if you wanted to do that, uh, we will make sure all those funds get to uh, the church there. Would you help me thank Larry and Leanne for all they have done? Nice to meet So today we're picking up in the 103rd Psalm. This is our text that we're using to learn to uh, cultivate an attitude of gratitude. 
Because as I told those of you who were with us last week, it dawned on me this year that you cannot spell gratitude without spelling attitude. Um, and well, there's one little T difference if, if you're doing that. But the fact is, you, you have to have an attitude of gratitude in order to, to really be the person you were created to be. And that 103rd Psalm is a psalm, actually a song, that the people of Israel would sing as they came in to worship in the tabernacle uh, or into the temple. David wrote that song. And, um, and, and so he's trying to help the people. It's, it's referred to as a general hymn. There are, there are certain psalms that were for specific occasions. occasions. There are some that are uh, laments. There are some that are specific praises. But, but this, this psalm, the 103rd psalm, it is a general hymn of, of praise to God. And, and as I told you last week, I, I memorized the first few verses that we talked about last week as kind of a breath prayer. Uh, and it starts with David having the people as they would come in. They would sing these words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, that he forgives your iniquities, that he heals your diseases like Ezekiel's, that he redeems, he redeems your life or he rescues you from the pit, that he, that he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, that he, is, that he is the one who satisfies your life with goodness so that you're, you're renewed like the eagle's. And so he's telling us, listen, when we approach God, we approach God with thanksgiving, whether it's, whether it's for water or whether it's for healing or whether it's for the forgiveness of our sins. However, we, however we've experienced God, when we come into his presence, we come with this sense of gratitude for what he's doing in our life. But it's not just gratitude for the benefits. No, no, there's, there's something deeper at work. See, there, there's this term that's throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament called mercy. Now, I know, I know that we live in a culture where the term mercy is used for lots of different things. And the interesting piece is that when you track the Hebrew roots of the language that's there or the Greek language that the New Testament's written in, or even the English language, the, the, the term mercy, which comes from the Hebrew hesed, comes from a, a sense of one singular, through, throughout all the translations, there's one thing that is consistent in it. And it's imperative for us to learn about that consistency if we're going to be people who have an attitude of gratitude to God. Here's what it is. If you're going to really understand mercy, you have to understand that mercy is a definition of a, of a, a relationship in which one individual has power and the other individual does not. It, it's, a, it's a place in which one individual has been empowered oftentimes to have authority over the other individual. One is strong, one is weak. And yet, the one who is strong, the one who is empowered, is willing, even though they have the power, even though they, they have the authority, they are willing to set aside their power, willing to set aside their authority in order to relate to the weaker individual. Which is why when David is teaching the people to sing this psalm about praising God and blessing God, he gets to that point after he talks about how you can be renewed 
in your strength. He, he says these words. Listen as I read them for you. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. When, when David's teaching the people to sing about who God is and how God blesses them and how the gratitude springs up, he wants us to understand that, that this justice, this, this sense of righteousness, that, that this sense of mercy comes out of the very nature of God. Because mercy flows from God's character. Just like the water that, that was deeper than anyone expected it to be. Just like the, the well that was, drug, that, that was dug so that, so that the, so the water could be there for the businesses, for the church, for the retreat center was better water than they had anticipated, but it took longer to get to it than anyone thought necessary. And one of the things that Larry and I talked about this week was, you know, the, the people who are saying, because if you've ever been around a construction site, even here in the States, have you noticed, particularly men, how drawn you are to construction sites? Women, you probably don't feel this, but, but men, when you go by and there's like a big tractor, okay, or a backhoe, or I, I just every time I've, I've served three churches and in all three of them we've had building programs and I'll just tell you something every time we start turning dirt men from the neighborhood come over and, and, and in Tennessee and Georgia they come over and they just kind of I mean they got a pickup truck so they can lean on it right and you, you, they pull their truck up they get out they lean on the front of it and they start every one of them is an expert okay uh, every guy is like well I think you ought to go a little deeper on that Reverend or I think you ought to do a little bit more no, no just, just hey you know we have a contractor that's his job, all right? But, but, but there's something about, something about that. And, and what was going on in Kurogo was that this was a conflict between who's really God. And so you have people who are coming over to watch what's going on, and, I'm, and, and it's going around through them. You know, they didn't sacrifice a chicken. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't do it. Why? Well, the, these people are followers of Jesus, when Pastor Emmanuel is on the phone, he's calling everybody, he said, you gotta pray. Because this is not just about whether or not we get water. This is about whether or not people understand who's really the God who has the power. And see, that's what mercy is. Oh, it's, it's more than, than the water that flows out. No, no, no. It's, it, it's, it's the sense that God has all of the authority, all of the power, and his creation does not have that authority and that power. His people do not have that authority and that power. But because he has it, he chooses, invites us into a covenant relationship with him where we are dependent upon his power, get this, even though we're weak. And we can know that his love is steadfast and is there for us. I mean, uh, look at it again. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So I want to stop there for just a moment before we go to the next part of this. Well, he may, yeah. The Lord works righteousness and justice 
There's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of dialogue and talk and thinking going on right now about how to right the wrongs and how to bring justice to the injustices of the world. And can I tell you what David is saying? David is saying that the only real justice in the world flows out of the character of God's mercy. I want you to hear me say that again. It doesn't come out of human think tanks. It doesn't come out of somebody's great idea. It doesn't come out of political movements. I know we're electing people on Tuesday. But I will tell you, as I have told this congregation for a quarter of a century, no matter who gets voted in or out of office on Tuesday, on Wednesday, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The kingdom of God will not be shaken by the politics of one nation on the earth, any nation or group of nations. No, the kingdom of God is God's kingdom. And justice rolls down like it rolls down on us, not because of all we do or our political action. Justice is a result of the God of mercy who has all the power looking at people who are broken and people who are wounded and saying to them, here's what I want you to know. I'm here for you and I'm not holding stuff against you. Look, he works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Not just one select group. All the oppressed. And remember, the definition of mercy is that one person has the power and the other person doesn't, but the person with the power chooses not to punish the people without the power and the people who do not have that strength. But he made known all of his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. Now, why did he say that? Why did he have the people sing that? Well, because these are Hebrew people, and they tracked their religious experience back to the experience of Moses. But do you remember the story of Moses? You want to talk about justice and injustice. You want to talk about mercy that flows out of the character of God. I mean, think about the life of Moses. This was a baby who was born in a time when every baby born like him was supposed to be killed immediately at birth. There were too many of the Hebrews, the Egyptians had said. They were taking over the land. And so the edict came from Pharaoh to kill all the male children. That will stop this, that genocide, that'll stop it all. But when Moses was born, his mother and father just couldn't, they just couldn't do that. They looked at the baby and they're like, there is just no way, God's got something for this child. And so some of you know the story. You remember it from Bible school. They took him and, and they made a basket, water tight, and they put him in it, and they put him in the, in the edges of the reeds in the Nile River. And they set his sister to watch over him so that when Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe in the edge of the Nile River and she sees this basket floating with this beautiful child in it. Her heart is melted and she takes the child and she raises the child. She can't nurse the child. She needs someone to nurse the child. And Miriam, being the good sister that she was, says, hey, wait a minute. I know somebody. And Moses grows up in Pharaoh's court, in Pharaoh's house, raised as Pharaoh's grandson. With all the privilege all the power, all the intellect, all of that stuff provided for him. But during the whole time, his mother is his nanny. And she's telling him who he really is. 
Moses, you're, you're, you're a Hebrew. You're, you're a child of Abraham. There is a God beyond these Egyptian gods. And what happens is that, is that Moses is caught in this dichotomy. He has the power, but he also understands the weakness. And then one day, if you know the story, he's, he's out on a construction site. <laughs> and he sees, he sees an Egyptian who takes the life of a Hebrew. And he's, he's so, as he's beating the Hebrew, he's, he's just, Moses is so upset that Moses takes the life of the Egyptian. And then a few days later, he sees two Hebrews who are having an argument. He's going to step in, use his power, use his position to intercede and say, hey, you know, you guys need to stop. And one of them says, are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? And he runs to the backside of a desert, and he stays there for 40 years. For 40 years, he's thinking, I'm a failure. For 40 years, he's thinking, I blew it. I had all the opportunity. God put me in a unique place. He gave me all those options and he, and he provided me with all of that resource and I could have done something with it. And for 40 years, he's Moses the failure until one day he encounters God again at a burning bush. I, I love that story. And David is telling the people entering the temple, when you start blessing God, when you start having an attitude of gratitude, you've got to understand it's because that God is the one who doesn't just give you all of these benefits. It's his very character of mercy that is demonstrated just like it was with Moses because God took this broken runaway and turned him into a deliverer for a people who were enslaved. He took a man who thought his life was wasted and never useful again, and he made that life more useful than Moses had ever dreamed. Because none of you know the name of the Pharaoh, but all of you know the name of Moses. That's impact. When you see, mercy doesn't just flow out of the character of God. Mercy is evidenced in God's steadfast love for us. That's why David says, look, when you sing, when you have this attitude of gratitude, when you come in to the presence of God, then what you've got to understand is that God is the person who has the authority, has the power, has the strength. You're the one who has the brokenness. You're the one who has the weakness. You're the one who needs the strength. And here's the deal. You deserve punishment. But what you're about to get is mercy. Because it's not just that it flows from his character like the water flowed from the earth in Kurogo, but it's that when it flows from his character, it, it, it makes itself evident because God's love never, ever fails. Look at the way he said it. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He doesn't pay us according to our sins. See, I, I don't know what brokenness you've got like Moses had on the backside of the desert. I know mine. I know what I've had to bring to God. And I know that every time I bring it to God, here's the thing, this God who has all the power, this God who has all the control, this God who has all the wisdom, you know what? He never once chastises. He always loves and forgives. He's not a God who ghosts us. I, I did a wedding yesterday for a, a young couple. 
they, they, were, they met at Anderson University. And uh, they attended here. I still remember very much. I, I remember baptizing him as a student. I remember, I remember the first time he was sitting next to her in church. The grin on his face was like ear to ear. Because he never, ever thought he would get a date with her, ever, all right? And, and he actually, they wrote their vows, and they shared them yesterday. And as he's sharing his vows, here's what he says. He says, I still remember the first time we went to Mocha Joe's, and you, you ignored me. And then when I text you, you ghosted me. These are his wedding vows. And then as tears flowed down his cheek, he goes, but I just want to let you know, I also remember... When you answered my text, <laughs> that's something my generation never, ever thought of, all right? But when, when you answered my text, and I knew you felt about me the same way I felt about you, and now here we are, we're getting married, and, and, all the, and I'm like, I'm like Dude, that's mercy, okay? <laughs> See, God, God, never, God never forgets to treat you with mercy. It, it's his steadfast love. And he doesn't always chide. He doesn't always push you back. And so I, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what brokenness you're facing this morning. But here's what I want you to know. Whatever the transgression is, whatever the brokenness is, whatever the pain is, what the scriptures tell us from the Old and New Testament both is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God is a God of mercy and Jesus came to show you that mercy. I told you last week, that I memorized those first five voice, verses of the 103rd Psalm. It's kind of a breath prayer. But I also want to tell you about another breath prayer that I pray quite frequently. It, it comes out of Mark chapter 10. It's also included in Luke and, and, and in the other Gospels simply because it's, it's from a story. It's the story of a man named Bartimaeus who, who lived uh, between Jericho and Jerusalem. And uh, he, was, he was blind. And all of his life was, was to sit in, and, and beg as people came by the road, people going up to, the, up to Jerusalem to, to, to worship or people coming down from Jerusalem to worship through Jericho. It was a primary road, and, and he could sit there and he could beg for them to, to give him money or food or whatever it was because you know, nobody's, nobody's easier to touch for a panhandler than a church crowd, I'll tell you. If you've just been with God, suddenly you're like, I need to give everything. And he knew that. Bartimaeus knew that. So he's there, and he knew it was their responsibility to give to him, and so he's on the side of the road, and he's constantly, everybody goes by, and he'd hear their feet on the road, smell the dust kicked up from their feet, and he would say, hey, have mercy, have mercy. In other words, you've got something, I don't have anything, take care of me. But one day, one day as Bartimaeus was sitting on the side of the road, he heard a larger-than-normal crowd coming by, and he began to hear the people talking in the crowd, and he began to realize that the, the reason the crowd was bigger was there was this guy named Jesus. He was a, a carpenter from Nazareth who was doing amazing things, this young rabbi who didn't have the formal training but was demonstrating the power of God at work in his life. And as that young rabbi, Jesus, was walking through, he, Bartimaeus suddenly realized, wait a minute, I've heard people talk. I've heard people talk about the fact that, that this guy can make blind people see. And in that moment, what came out of him is this breath prayer that, that quite honestly is, is a historic breath prayer that's used throughout the ages of the church. Maybe, maybe you want to use it. Maybe you have used it. Here's what he said. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. J Jesus, son of David, 
have mercy on me. When he said it, all the people in the crowd stopped and they were like, no, come on, man. You're here every day. You're begging every day. There's no way. And, and they turned and they said, look, just quiet down. He doesn't have time for you. Has anybody ever told you God doesn't have time for you? Have you ever felt like God didn't have time for you? That your problem, your transgression, your brokenness was just too far beneath the God of power for him to care? But I'm telling you, mercy is the character of God. It flows out of his very character. And because it flows out of his very character, it's experienced in love. So when Jesus heard Bartimaeus, who, by the way, when the people told him to stop shouting, he just shouted louder, Scripture tells us. So for some of you who are, who are wondering if God hears your prayer, just keep asking. Just keep praying that breath prayer. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Because Jesus turned around and he said, bring him here. And looks at him and said, what do you want? Now there's a part that Mark includes that I love in this story. Because Mark says that the blind guy jumped up. <laughs> I love that. It's like he was sitting on the side of the road, asking people to give to him. Suddenly, the Son of God is there, and the Son of God says, come to me, and the blind guy jumps up, throws off his garments, his cloak, comes into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want? See, that, that's what Jesus is asking some of you this morning. That's why praying this 103rd Psalm, that's why having an attitude of gratitude is so important, because the God of mercy wants to know what the people who are broken want. What is it that you want? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. I'm blind. I, I want to see. And Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. And immediately, Bartimaeus could see. See, mercy, mercy flows out of the character of who God is, and it's evidenced by his steadfast love that, that comes to all of us. It never goes away. It, it, it doesn't turn against us, and here's why. It's expressed in God's unbelievable removal of our transgressions. He said, Pastor, what do you mean? What I mean is that God forgives and he forgets. Human beings forgive, but we don't forget. And, 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 and we don't forget about ourselves. But when God forgives you out of his mercy, when he reaches down into your brokenness, when he reaches down into your transgressions, here's, here's what David tells us. And David should know, right? David, David should know. David was a murderer who had the husband of the woman he had an affair with killed. David was, a, David was a liar because he, he told his army to do things in order to have the man killed. David, David was an adulterer. David was, David was all the big sins that most of you are like, oh, I wouldn't ever. No, not me. No, listen to me. David was broken just like you. So when the scriptures tell us that David was a man after God's own heart, <laughs> you think maybe it ought to be a sign that you're a person after God's own heart? Because in your brokenness, in your weakness, in your failure, in your transgressions, his mercy flows out of his character and it comes right down to the love he has for you and the forgiveness he has for you. 
But get this. When he forgives you, he takes that transgression and he removes it. Here's the way David says it. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Friend, as far as the east is from the west, have you ever started driving east until you were driving west? That's a long way. The, the, the fact is, what David's doing is he's saying, look, because, because mercy is, is so much flowing from God's character, because his steadfast love is, is, the, is the evidence of it, it's expressing it, then what you need to know is this stuff that's got you sitting on the side of the road, broken and blind and crying, the stuff that you don't think anybody could ever forgive you if they knew what you had done. The stuff that you brought in here today, stuffed in a backpack on your back, hoping you could hide from everybody else, whether you're with us on campus or online or later on this week on demand. The stuff that, that when you wake up at three o'clock in the morning, you're afraid somebody's gonna know. Or here's the one, for those of you who are older and you went to youth camp and they told you, at the judgment day, they're gonna show a big film and the whole world's gonna see what everybody has done. The stuff you think from your life that's gonna be on that film. When Jesus forgives you, when the God of mercy forgives you, the film is erased. It's blank. It's gone. Because that's what mercy does. The one who has all the power, God. In relationship to the one who is broken and transgressed and weak, deserving of all the punishment for all their own failures. Instead of receiving what they deserve, they receive this mercy. That's why on the night before he died, Jesus sat with a group of disciples doing what David talked about, remembering Moses, remembering God's acts among the people of Israel, the deliverance from Egypt, Passover lamb, the unleavened bread. And he looked at those disciples in that room and I think when he saw them, he, he looked forward throughout history to you right now, wherever you are. And he said, listen, the mercy of God is so great that it reaches right down to where you live. And what I want to invite you to do is every time you take this cup, the cup that is the redemption of Israel from Egypt, God's salvation of our nation, no, no, listen, I want you to know that it's no longer about Israel. It's about the whole world. And it's no longer about lambs that were slaughtered and blood put on the doorpost. No, no, now it's about 
the Lamb of God, and that's me. And the blood I shed, it will forgive all of your sin. And when you take the bread, the reminder of God's provision in the desert, I want you to know that's a symbol of my body that is going to be torn, crucified for you. And that's why 2,000 years later now, all over the world, followers of Jesus take a cup and bread and we remember. For those of you on campus, in the chair in front of you, if you're on the front row at the foot of your chair, you're going to find a cup. And you're going to find a piece of bread. And these are a symbol of what Jesus did on that night. And so this morning, I just want to ask you, are you willing to receive God's mercy? Are you willing to allow the blood of Calvary to cover your sin? Are you willing to allow the body of Christ, the bread, to nourish you? If you are, in these next few moments, we're going to sing a song. But before you can sing this song, you have to settle this issue. And so I'm going to ask you, in just a minute, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to take a moment to reflect and pray. And then to take the bread and then the cup. By the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you really can't do this yet. But if you're here today or you're online with us and you're, you're kind of asking questions, then hey, keep coming, keep asking. Because this is a place safe enough for you to ask the questions. We want to be a people who are that safe. But here's what we also want. We want you to know that someday, and maybe it's today, the Spirit of God is going to reach into your heart and say, today's the day you cross the line and decide, I'm going to let that mercy impact my life. I'm going to get off the side of the road. I'm going to go to the feet of Jesus. And I'm going to say, here it is, every bit of it. And I promise you, I promise you on the authority of God's word and through his Holy Spirit that he will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west and make you brand new. And if that's a decision you want to make today, then this is a great time. You make it. You take the bread. You take the cup. It'll be your first communion as a follower of Jesus. And then for those of you on campus, once you take it, I'm going to ask you from wherever you are just to stand as your testimony and sing the words of this amazing song that talks about who Jesus is and who God is and what he wants to do in our life. Father, we come to you now with bread and cup held in our hands as symbols of our life, broken, some of us weary, torn and tattered, and we come and we say to you, here we are. Have mercy on us. Thank you for being the God of mercy. Amen.
Would you pray with me? Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving David words and giving us a song. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to show us just how much mercy you have for us. And thank you for taking our transgressions, our sinfulness, our iniquities, forgiving them and casting them as far as the east is from the west. Take us from this place today into the world around us as people who have been forgiven, people who have been made whole, people who have been healed from our brokenness so that we can let the world know just how much they are loved by you. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.